Welcome, we're live, Mike Crawford, Young Jerks. We have a special episode today. Uh, I'm also with Grant Smith. What's up, Grant Smith? Not very much, Mike. Uh, been a long couple weeks, I guess, but a very, very positive couple weeks. So keeps me awake, even though I'm tired. I was going to say, uh, you almost sound down today, but I know you're probably tired. Um, a lot of good news to celebrate. That's why I want to have Grant Smith on today. Uh, we're going to have a bunch of uh, candidates running for office. Big voting day is coming up Tuesday in Massachusetts primary day. If you haven't voted yet by uh, mail-in or absentee ballot, definitely Tuesday is the day to vote in the primaries. A lot of great candidates, a lot of great elections. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the Cannabis Control Commission, uh, what Grant and I were alluding to, the big changes that uh, Grant and a lot of other patients have been working on and, and great things happening. Uh, both for local applicants, but, you know, the thing that gets me going the most is the local patients, which I'm one and Grant is one. So hopefully we'll talk about some of that today. We have some candidates calling in. Uh, we have a candidate, first time on the show, uh, right now, guest, Ashawn Dabney Small, running for Boston City Council in District 3. Is this your first time running, Ashawn? Uh, well, the first one didn't count. Um, I ran back in 2019 for an at-large seat, but sadly I had to end that campaign due to um, some family um, matters. So uh, it's really good to be on the show here. Uh, but, you know, I consider this campaign my first actual campaign. So I'm glad to be here. And I, I wasn't even aware that, you know, because last election, you know, we were all over the city council, especially the at-large seats. Uh, we endorsed both Julia Mejia and, uh, the person that she beat by one one vote, who's now running the cannabis uh, board in Boston, uh, Aliandra. Uh, so, you know, basically we we're all about that. We we're all into that. But I didn't even realize that Boston City Council had an election right now. Is that how did I miss this? What's going on here? So there is no election. I started my campaign very early. Um, our election, our general, our primary will be in April. Um, I, not April, I believe September, and then our general election will be in November of next year. But so I started, you're, getting, you're getting started. This is good because we like to have uh, people on really early. I think we, we did the same thing with Julia Mejia, actually, about a year before she won her election. We were like the yep. first place that she came. So this is good to know because now that clears it up for me. So you're not actually going to be on the ballot this Tuesday. You're, you're going for next year, and, yes. and you're starting your campaign right now, which is good. Yep, it's been about a good six months, so um, I'm really happy where we're at right now, and our team, my team especially, especially my policy director, I want to give a shout out to Lisa Graff, um, my policy director, Teddy Sherry, um, my com communication director, um, Ashanti Dabney-Small, who works on social media, um, and um, Marcus McNeil and Mariah Ross. Those are my, you know, the fierce five, and I'm really grateful for having them on my team and being able to... Um, do the things that we do and, and really able to be a team and really um, promote change for our, for these, for our communities. And district three, what is district three? What, what part of, and who, who so is the rep right now there too? District three is the majority of Dorchester. Um, I know um, city councilor um, Campbell, she has a little part in um, Dorchester that um, is under her uh, jurisdiction. But I know the rest of Dorchester, which includes um, some parts over, you know, near Neponset area and Savin Hill, um, 
and going towards, you know, Adams and, you know, those places are under the jurisdiction and juris um, under their current incumbent um, in District 3. Then who is that? Do you, you don't want to say his name or her name? No, but we don't. I want to know. We'll say I've been there any once. Uh, Frank Baker represents District 3 right now. Oh, so that's like, I'm glad you said his name. <laughs> because uh, for anyone that's been following the show for a while, or just even following like Mass, you know, the, I'm on Twitter a lot. M, uh, what do they call that? Mass Poli, the hashtag M-A-P-O-L-I, you know that one? Mass Politics. Hash, I don't even know what they call it, but if you're yeah. following that or, or the Boston, you know, just local Boston politics, you should know the name Frank Baker and one realize person, he needs to be replaced. Was it, Frank, re was it Frank Baker who was the single vo vote that stopped the emergency rent moratorium from uh, passing just last March? Councilor No did, in fact, um, stop the moratorium for going to a vote. Um, we sent it back to the committee and that created outburst between a lot of residents in Dorchester who had called, emailed him, um, reached out to his office, and still when he was responding saying he's doing the best he can, um, it just wasn't reflecting on what, um, what was being shared by our Dorchester residents. So uh, that not only made it more visible as to why I should run, but it also made it clear that, you know, we're not being represented. Um, we're not being, in, you know, in fact, he doesn't reflect who we are as a community. Um, and quite frankly, you know, I spoke um, as well at the Boston School Committee about the land grab um, to take away from the students, middle school and elementary school students at the McCormick and Middle Schools, which both I have attended proudly and, and an alum of. And um, he made an article on the Dorchester or I don't know the name of the but Dorset's report that um, if I said the name wrong, please um, correct me. But um, he made a uh, he issued a statement saying that he supports the land grab, and you know a lot of people were in disagreement with it. And so I just think that the school committee didn't hear those people. Um, quite frankly, you know the chair Lacanto, um, him being the puppet master for the mayor, um, has orchestrated a big. Um, uh, has made a, a really great statement as you know that as to why um, we should have elected um, school committee members and has made it very clear that a lot of people are very interested in their pockets rather than our communities and so the reason why I'm running against Frank Baker is because he doesn't represent our communities but the people that are well connected and so I'm you know, a lot of people have been tired of it. A lot of people who have come up and told me they wanted to run, but found out I was running and said to me, you know what, I want to get behind you because I actually believe that you're not going to take any BS from anybody speaking to you about any matters and issues that are important to my, to the community that you represent. And, you know, quite frankly, they're not wrong about it. You know, I speak out on the stuff and I, and I call the BS out. And whether it's, you know, through a joke or through some plain, simple facts, I'm going to state the fact. Frank Baker should not be in office. He should not be representing Dorchester, our community, because he does not represent everyone. He represents the landlords that represent Dorchester. And the people that rent, including myself, I'm a new renter, and this is my second one in renting. And I can emphatically say if I knew that my landlord just wanted my money rather than trying to help me through the time of need, why would I want to give them my my money in the first place? What what are they? Why are they trying to you know 
economically gain from me when I'm struggling? Why can't they provide some service, some type of way to help us out? And for him to have said that during a city council meeting about, oh, it's just, you know, I got to make sure the other landlords, like what other landlords? No, you represent almost everybody in Dorchester and you're talking about landlords. That's not the majority of Boston, of Dorchester. We can't, we can't prioritize some other things because we represent those people. We have to make sure that we're representing everyone. We're involving everyone in every process, which he hasn't done and that we're being able to be accessible. Right now, I don't know where Frank Baker is, do you? No, no one knows. Um, he's been a little bit MIA, but he, yet he can go on a platform and report to the Dorchester Reporter to Bill Forey and make those, those statements, but yet where, where's the actual accountability? Why, why is he not taking the heat from his constituents and the people that place his trust in him? So, you know, I don't call him my counselor because he doesn't represent us all. He just doesn't. Here we go. We're speaking to Ashan Dabney Small. He's running for Boston City Council District 3. Uh, he'll be on the ballot next year, starting his campaign early. I like that, you know, one thing I liked right away is that you were proactive in reaching out to, to come on uh, the show and you didn't give up on me when I didn't get right back to you right away. I, I think that's always a good sign for me anyways, because it shows that you're a hustler, you're a worker. A lot of, a lot of our candidates will sit back, I, I find, and, and expect things to come to them where, you know, that's not the way of the world. And, and I, yeah. when, I, when I see people who are, you know, outgoing and, and making things happen, that's when I really take notice because I think that's really important. Um, you're also a renter. You, you mentioned that. Uh, you mentioned a bunch of good reasons why you're running. Um, what are the other reasons you're running? I'm sure there's, you have a, a ton of reasons why you're running for this seat. What, what are some of the issues or reasons that you decided to run for this city council seat in Boston? Um, one main issue, and, and, you know, I can get into a little bit deeper, um, is, you know, the housing authority and, you know, it, you know, going back to, you know, rent control and making sure that, you know, the, the families that make a certain amount of income are being able to have the, the providing housing if they wish to still stay in that district to be able to live and live affordably right now, um, I can say emphatically, I've known several people who have been evicted um, from their from their from their place of where they used to live because the other lord didn't notify them or they didn't have any resources to um, get a lawyer to do pro bono or to help them out with some resources to be able to fight that, and they raised the rent, and so I think what needs to be happen, happening, especially because 65% of Dorchester residents actually are renters. We need to be able to create a program to establish, you know, you know, renting, you know, that is a stepping stone for, you know, home ownership. And so if we are study, studying, especially landlords, raising, increasing, right, how can, you know, those families save up to be able to invest in a home? and be able to afford mortgage and the other payments and utilities and things like that. And so I think what I want to do, if, you know, if, you know, Dorchester, you know, gives me that permission to do so is be able to form, you know, sort of a program to be able to help struggling families reach that. Because um, for one, I can closely connect to this because um, my grandmother, God rest her soul, um, she 
was she lived in Section 8. Um, and so for a long time, you know, the Section 8 was good. And then, you know, the landlord started raising a little prices, increases. And then at the time, my grandmother only was, she was a, she was a lunch mother, well, a lunch lady at the um, Montalba Ave at, I'm trying to remember the school name, um, but a, a school on Talbot Ave and, uh, oh, the Lee School on Talbot Ave, sorry. And so she'd go there every day. You know, sometimes she could take me and my sister when we were just little. And, you know, we used to watch her just, you know, work so hard and still come home to, you know, $50 in her bank account or, you know, $70 in her bank account because, you know, she had to pay bills and she had to pay other utilities. And so that didn't leave room for my grandmother to save money to um, um, invest into a house. Um, I mean, there was years when we would go down, you know, for trips down south, but that money was very tight knit. And if we went out of that budget, it would go into next month rent when we got back home. And so my grandmother made do out of very little. And so for me, I really connect with that because I know what it, what, um, I know I've, I've been very humble about where I've come from and, and I don't go boasting around about, you know, me living in my, being able to afford housing. But the thing is, it's hard for a lot of families and it's hard for especially families that necessarily have older folks in there that are not working, they're retired and they live check to check. And so I just want to be able to provide that information resources for those constituents in my in my district to be able to be able to not only uh, progress in renting and be able to make sure that they can maintain that but move on to ownership and then the second um i don't know if anyone wants to chime in on that what i just said Bob, um, go ahead no go ahead for the second part um the second issue i really want to um talk about is the transportation piece uh i believe as someone who's been taking transit for almost 18 years of their life i believe it's essential that we um, look into how it can either be affordable or how it can be free and um, I've you know fully been on board with what Michelle has been bringing when it comes to the transit about it being free and accessible to all local residents so because mainly a lot of people use that a lot of people use that to get to work to travel I mean a lot of people in suburbaners don't use it because they have cars come in and out of town but the main people who rely on transportation are mainly people of color and, you know, some other folks too. And, you know, that adds up every day, adds up, you know, $2.90, maybe nothing when you go maybe a one-time trip and then, you know, maybe you're going to pick up something or a car or something, your car from the shop, but it really does add up after the year and it can cut out to a lot of other expenses you could be using. And then, you know, so that I want to make, I want to work, you know, hand in hand with those, with, you know, Michelle Wu, um, the people that are organizing this, um, this piece of legislation to be able to kind of tap into some areas where we can find money to invest into that. Free you know, we, yeah, invest into the to be able to make sure that, you know, at the same time, their workers are getting paid because that's the number one priority. If workers are not getting paid, then you know, there's going to be strikes, unions are going to organize and stuff like that. So there's a lot of different channels and different places where we got to go, but I don't believe it's not impossible. I don't believe that it's not impossible. It is possible. The thing is we have to, we have to, we have to be able to 
have those conversations, have those hard conversations. We can't always be always on the fence. And so many people are just about profiting rather than making sure that our city is stable and, and that we're able to invest in other things. Finally, my third and um, final stance on, you know, really why I'm running. And this is really just a personal story. And I, I really don't, I want, I'm going to share a little piece of it and, um, and then keep on, keep it going. Uh, so if anyone has not go to my website, if you go under a Sean for Boston, my name, the number four boston.com and you, it goes to the page of, you know, meet a Sean, but you know, that's just a little summary. And so, um, I was born in, I was born in Roxbury, um, to, um, uh, Latoya Dabney and, um, Enrique Fernandez, who is my, my father. I've never met him before. But um, the only thing I, I know I'm really truly blessed is that I was given life. And so for that, I can only be truly grateful. At the time of my age, you know, growing up, I didn't have everything, like I said. Um, and so I may do what I had. And I, and I had a very active imagination. So I took wherever the world led me, that's where I went. And so as I got older, about six, seven years old, my grandmother couldn't afford to pay for rent anymore. And there was countless times where my mother was inviting people that weren't supposed to be there in the building and people complained. So around seven years old, my grandmother got her section eight taken away. And my grandmother, me, my grandmother and my twin sister became homeless. Right on the street, um, the school noticed that we were coming to school with dirty clothes. And so they had um, filed a 51A on my grandmother. And from there, the, I remember I was at the Harvard Kent at the time in first grade and someone came to pick me up and it was very early. And I didn't know who she was. And she told me she was a friend of my grandmother's. And I'm a very trusting person. So I, I believed her and I, and I went in the car with her. She picked up my sister, said hello to my sister. And she then, she brought us to an office and I'm just like, where are we going? And she explained to me that we were in the custody of the Department of Children and Families. And me at seven years old, I didn't really quite understand how it was, you know, why this was happening. But what I did understand, what I was, wasn't upset was like, I was still with my sister. And so that night they brought us to a um, foster home. And I was hearing them talking about separating me and my sister. Mm. And that I kind of, you know, didn't want that to happen. And so at night they had the boys room and the girls room. And so I was very scared to sleep in the boys room. So I climbed in the bed with my sister and slept with her. I got in trouble, but um, I did have a good night's rest. <laughs> so afterwards, um, maybe a couple weeks afterwards, they came pick us up and told us that somebody wanted to take us in and foster us. And it would still be in Dorchester. So my grandmother would be able to travel from Roxbury and see us you know, on visits and, you know, supervised visits, stuff like that. So after that, we got out the car and I'm looking up and I'm looking at these two people and I'm like, I know who they are. I just don't know their names because, you know, as a young kid, you forget and, you know, so um, they've turned out to be Benjamin and Mildred Small who um, continued to raise me and my sister. And at the age of nine, we were adopted um, into the Small family. So that's why, you know, Dabney Small. Um, and so... From there, um, my parent, 
Um, I call my parents because, you know, they took their time to invest in me and my sister. And, you know, they really loved and cared about us and their family embraced us as, you know, being, you know, blood related. And so um, on that day, I was very, very emotional. Um, I remember the judge giving us, and I know the judge very well, um, I've seen him time to time on the street. He gave us um, these books. Um, I don't know if anyone knows what um, Clifford the Big Red Dog is or like that show. And that was my favorite show. He gave me a book about it and then gave me a nice blue um, like puppy. And so that was the memorable time. And, you know, that made me really humble about my upbringing and, you know, why I'm doing this. Because the fact is, you know, people come from different stories and backgrounds. What makes you is how you deal with whatever you're thrown with life. My grandmother used to say, when life hands you lemons, you don't, you don't make lemonade, you eat the lemons. So basically she said, whatever, you know, life throws you good or bad, you take it and strive and you deal with it. Um, you may go through it a different way. People go through everything differently. People don't process the same thing the same way you do. But the thing is that, Thing you go through will make you stronger for the better or for the worse it's how it's how you want it to make you and so I decided not to be ashamed of being adopted being ashamed of um, being in foster care being ashamed of um, being homeless because that shaped me for being the person I am and made me work even harder and so you know when you were talking about you know me reaching out to you like I don't do like, oh, you have to give me an invitation. Like, you gotta send me a, no, I'm gonna reach out to you. I'm gonna let you know, like, I wanna, I wanna speak on your show. Why do I need an invitation? I need to invite myself, you know? Ayanna Preston said, if they don't give you a chair, bring your own chair, that's you right. know? So, that's right. That's why I'm doing this because a lot of the time, a lot of the residents in Dorchester have not been able, Frank Baker hasn't just handed them a chair and said, let's, let's talk, let's have a conversation. People have had to bring their own chair and really speak out on things. And so, you know, those three issues and, you know, that little story is the reason why and the basis behind why I'm doing it. There's so many other reasons too and so many other issues that I want to work on as well in Dorchester, but those are the top three because I want people to know that and many other youth and kids and, and I, um, a recent hire that we hired, his name is Marcus McNeil. I mentioned him earlier. He's our um, social media fellow. He works under my sister who does coordinating with the social media and stuff like that. Um, and so he had told me, well, his mom told me on his, on a FaceTime that, um, I inspired him to run in the next four years for city council. And, you know, that kind of made me emotional because I've never heard someone, you know, say that to me. Um, and so to have someone on my team and have so many people, most of my team, they're most, mostly older people and for them to believe in me and so many other people who wanted to take the chance of doing it, but saw me doing something and noticed that I could really be great and, and, and have everyone's back in my community really speaks volumes. And so to them, I would not be here sitting here talking to you or Grant without their support, without their love, without their constant, you know, advice that they give me. And, you know, I tell this to my, my team all the time. If you see something that, you know, you want me to do, like, tell me, like, I, I don't, I, I'm not the one to be like, okay, like, I'm not going to listen to you, 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 you know, I'm not that kind of candidate. Um, I'm the one to let you speak and let you be heard rather than silence you and tell you that 
you know, it's going to get done and know that it's not. So I'd rather be transparent, honest, and truthful about what can be actually done in our district and what we can look forward to and actually try to work on to get done in our district rather than um, setting up false hope, which our current incumbent does every single day um, for the past eight years she's been um, on city council. So, yeah. I hope you replace him. Sean Dabney Small running for Boston City Council District 3. Uh, just started his campaign, going to be on the ballot next year, 2021, um, at Sean for Boston is uh, the Twitter handle and Facebook and everywhere else you can find him. Um, we want to ask some other questions, too. One of the ones, real quick, I want to ask you about, you mentioned uh, just a yes or no. I think I know where you stand already. Rent control. Are you, are, if you were on the city council, would that be something you would look at? Yes, I think that there should be guidelines where rent and there should be stipulation mean how many the percentage of um, how much um, landlords should be able to increase their rent every year. Um, I think on my website, I believe I put uh, at least seven, nine percent should be like the basis, um, but it shouldn't go farther than that because so no 50 to 100 percent rent increase in a year, which I've seen happen to people. Yes. And no, no, that wouldn't be allowed? No, no, Good. it shouldn't be allowed. You know, $60 increase is something, but having a $300, $400 increase in rent when you know the place you're living in, and even if it's a great place you're living in, you know it has some problems, other things that need to be attended to by the landlords, and they're not keeping up their part and keeping the upkeep of the building. And I can tell you, for from my experience, I live in a place, I live in a building that the place looks horrible on the outside. Horrible. Um, the stairs have never been swept in their life. Looks like it. Um, there's ants, you know, a little ant hill. So, you know, there's different problems, different issues that go on with every different landlord. And I think that they need to start taking accountability on what they're doing. And they need to stop. Um, and it's so funny, Brains. So I really want to. Um, I just want to tell one more story. Um, I had someone who wanted to apply um, for, and I made this post like two months back. And this was a friend of mine and he lived in the North End. And you know, he was, his dad was a landlord. He owns like three other buildings, right? And so I guess his son was managing, for, managing it for him. And he stayed on the third floor. And you know, I would come and visit him. We would talk about politics. He's a Republican, I'm a Democrat, but we respected each other, you know? I don't, I don't discriminate whatever, you know, affiliation you have. I'm, that's not my prerogative to tell you, you need to be a Democrat, you need to be this. As long as we can respect each other and have a civil conversation, I'm fine. So we had that conversation and he just kept asking me about like chief of staff positions. I'm just like, okay, I'm not in office, one. Two, it's illegal for me to even offer you a job that I don't, I'm not in, three, like what is your real goal here? And so he used to always talk about, you know, rent control and I'm just like, you're trying to get in so you can, you know, try to benefit and, and help other people that, you know, are pushing other people down and, and, and pushing them away from the resources that can help them, you know, gain ownership. And so I'm not for that. I'm not for people that are, you know, established to still take away from the people that have, been donating their little their little ten dollar twenty dollar donations to many campaigns and and seeing that you know their their voice is still not being heard and quite frankly you know every time frank just speaks it just like irks my soul whether he's speaking live or he's 
putting it on a news report. It's just, I just don't understand how someone who's been there for eight years has gotten everyone upset just by one thing he's done. And, you know, and many other stuff, you know? Yeah, he's gotten in trouble quite a few times recently, I've noted. But let's get to some other issues too, because we have a lot of, you know, other things we want to ask about. Cannabis is a big issue for us on this show. the first thing I want to ask, because uh, Linda Champion just wrote a great op-ed that was at Dick Boston and also on our website, midnightmass.substack.com, about buffer zones in Boston. Because there's a, currently a half-mile buffer zone between dispensaries, and that, that has become an issue uh, with you know the folks who are already there wanting to protect their half-mile buffer zone versus newcomers who generally have less money, a lot of them in some cases, um, where are you kind of, would you look at, would you, if you're a Boston city councilor, let's say next year, and this is still an issue, if it is, would you look at or vote for removing the buffer zones, the half mile buffer zones between dispensaries? Um, well, I haven't, I haven't really read the, op- the um, op-ed, but I would, I would definitely be into looking at reviewing everything, making sure that, um, you know, everyone's being heard in the issues and, you know, come to a conclusion. Um, but I, if it was being, if it was harmful in any way, I would be, you know, to vote for the right thing. Um, I believe I would do so. Um, I never want something that's going to um, affect the communities, whether it's in my community or any community in Boston, that will lead to, you know, kind of a disruption. So um, definitely it's something that I would look into um, if I was, city councilor and I would I would do that and look into that and be able to have those conversations and make sure that everyone including the patients and the people that you know uh, contribute from that you know are speaking and making sure that we get the full look and you know the scope and everyone's part in their story so I would cool. definitely be part of that you know and, and Grant I'm sure you have some questions on this you're like the cannabis expert on the local level anyway so oh, no, what do you got was- for Boston Anything good? Oh, that, that, was an, that was an important question. Um, some excellent answers. Uh, the only uh, other uh, issue topic to, to think about is how is the, the money that the city collects through uh, local host community agreements being spent? Uh, there's been some good work thinking about how to ensure those funds are being spent on equity because at the state level, as a lot of people know, in particular based on the reporting of Naomi Martin at the Boston Globe over the past few months. The state, when it collects the excise tax revenue on cannabis, is supposed to spend it on five distinct categories, including uh, assisting communities that are disproportionately impacted by the, by the drug war. Of the $70.6 million in tax revenue last year, zero was spent on those communities that are disproportionately impacted. So wow. in the state... On the state level, there's a proposal to create a social equity loan fund, that's Senate Bill 2650, that folks can support. support. Uh, that would allow uh, 10% of the excise tax to go towards loans to helping cannabis businesses enter the market uh, from minority communities through the social equity and economic empowerment program. But my question to you is, um, how do you think Boston can use the funds that it generates from its 3% tax on cannabis sold in the city to directly impact communities that were harmed by the drug war? Thank you for that question, Grant. Um, I, I truly believe that we, you know, it's, it kind of connects back to, you know, Black Lives Matter and, you know, defunding the police and being able to use those funds to tap into 
um, the communities that um, have been, you know, altered or, you know, sort of lagging and falling behind, I think that they need to start diving back and, you know, using those, the people that have been mostly affected in the community, small communities are, you know, the small businesses, the black owned businesses, those people who haven't been able to keep their doors open, um, maybe make a fund or something for helping families get back on, and they may have to meet a certain criteria, but helping families get back on track with, you know, stuff that are due, payments, things like that. I think that um, for, and, you know, if Michelle Wu decides to run for mayor, I am definitely going to support her and endorse her for that. Um, because I just think, you know, a, a lot of things that have been done since this past year that have been very crucial and have showed a lot of people's true colors and what they've been doing all along that we have not been looking at. I think right now, I think this year has really pointed out that people have been really paying attention. And so I'm glad that that question was asked, but I definitely think that we need to, Boston needs to think of ways to help benefit the local communities and those struggling communities that are struggling and the businesses that are too. Um, because you may be a city councilor and have your own business, but you may not be struggling. There may be another uh, a, a store across the street that you know is due f for rent and they don't have the money for it. Where they're gonna find it at? You know, and it was just like the looting, you know, the stuff that happened before with, you know, Black Lives protesters and diverting and people making it seem that the looters were the people that were protesting and being that kind of cause and making us making us look like bad people. And I can tell you emphatically, I was there. There was no people that were protesting when I was there that were the people who were looting. And so we need to be able to invest back into those those businesses that were affected, invest back into the families that had had really hard times getting it together and, you know, scraping nickels together and scraping dimes. And, and so that's what we need to do. And if we can't do that, it, I, I just, I can't say it really much because, you know, it hasn't been done. Like you said, there are millions of dollars that hasn't been invested back into um, those parts in those areas. And that's what needs to happen. So I call on the governor to act on that. And I call on the mayor to act on that too. One of the issues that's been coming up locally that we've been seeing is a lot of the money ends up going to law enforcement. You know, whether it's former, you know, Boston police head, you know, guy, Dan Linsky, getting, you know, part of a dispensary ownership, or the money just going back to details. Like, you know, New England Treatment Access, it turned out, has been spending millions of dollars on police details. So that's where a lot of the profits been going. And it's, you know, for me, I, I've been working with a lot of the employees, uh, through uh, uh, union uh, UFCW fourteen forty five, but even before that, even before the union, um, just working with a lot of the employees, hearing about their horror stories about working at these places and getting not paid well, getting uh, you know really treated horribly, and then you know really putting their lives at risk, uh, you know with things like uh, contamination, mold, heavy metals, things that are po physically poisoning them. And here they are getting paid uh, minimum wage, basically. And, and a police officer is just sitting outside getting paid 10 times as much as they are to do nothing, to sit there and do nothing. And not even to protect the dispensaries when, when they really need them. Because if you look at the safety issues that have come up with dispensaries, which you mentioned earlier, the looting, that happened to some of our friends. And they're not getting looted uh, during business hours when the police are required to be there. 
they're getting looted after hours when, when usually the police officers aren't even there. So it's like, what, what are they actually paying for when uh, they require these dispensaries to put so much money towards the law enforcement? If you were a city councilor in Boston and you're looking at these host community agreements, would you give some pushback on that and say, hey, you know what, this money shouldn't, a million dollars shouldn't be going to Boston police from details. It should be going to the employees. It should be going to applicants of color in the city of Boston. Would you, would you start bringing those issues up? Um, Michael, thank you for asking that question. Actually, um, yes, um, I did post back about a couple months ago, I think when they took that vote on the, the uh, not, not a couple months ago, like maybe a month and a half ago on the vote for the, the fiscal year budget um, for city council and how all that money was being poured back into, well, they took 2% out and put it into other things, but we asked for 15%. Um, just so if Mayor Walsh is watching, he's probably not. We asked for 15%. Um, and so to see that, and, and I can say this today, like um, I had a cop, there was a cop car coming down the street, right? And he had his lights on and for the life of me, I couldn't figure out why because he was just driving and pulled into Dunkin' Donuts. So I'm just like, what are you actually here to do? And I would look into maybe that if you're not in, on detail or if you're not set to be, you shouldn't be getting paid. Those hours should not be getting paid to you. Shouldn't, you shouldn't be getting the slice of the, the pie if you didn't work hard for it. You know what I mean? And so that money that should have been invested back to those communities should have been invested back to the community. The budget though, I think doesn't reflect any of the communities. Um, and I made it clear to the counselors who voted for it. And I respect them as each individuals, but I let them know that those, that vote made a lot of people upset. There was a lot of backlash against those current, those counselors. And quite frankly, I wouldn't have been surprised if there wouldn't have been any because when you have a such diverse uh, community and, you know, a community who has been, especially District 3, about a week ago, somebody, uh, my, my roommate's friend, um, her, her girlfriend's um, brother was shot. And I didn't know his name, but I knew his nickname was Jizz. And I immediately went to social media because after that, nothing was done about it. I didn't hear anything about it. I didn't see that someone was trying to get justice for him or trying to mobilize and, and, and really speak out about these things. So, you know, that really hurt me to see that nothing was being done about that. And then on top of that, when you're, when you're around in the communities and, and you're doing all these things, like they've really, it's like, who are you actually, are you here for the money or are you here to actually defend and serve our communities? And so I think at that, I think maybe Boston Police Department needs a class to teach about that. And I wouldn't mind as a city councilor to provide a class doing that, to, to educate them on you know, minority groups and basically educate them on stuff because it affects everyone on a daily basis. There's a lot of trauma deep within the black, the, the black and brown communities. There's a lot of trauma there. And for people to be angry, I'm angry. And I'm not saying this like with any bitter or any malice. I'm not, I don't wanna fight anyone angry. I'm just really disappointed in how my city has reacted and acted on part of these things. And it's really not how I thought my city was to be. And now looking at it 
older, I'm just like, I was really blind to a lot of things that was happening here. And so now we have to be able to be the people, whether that's locally, statewide, or federally, to be able to be those people to change it. And Cori Bush said, um, you know, no one is born an activist community organizer, they're activated. And I, you know, truly believe that I was activated because of those things. And also because of my passion and just being, you know, you know, someone who's been an organizer before and working in the backgrounds, I've seen the work that can be done. I've seen the actual results. And so I think, I think it's time for us to be able to do that. And we need to do that with new leadership, so. Awesome, we're speaking to uh, Sean Dabney Small. We have some other people in the waiting room, uh, some other candidates who are running for office we've had on in the past. We're gonna bring them in now. Do you wanna stick around with us, uh, Sean? You, yes, yes. I meet them? So we have uh, uh, Helena Fonts and Nicole Masalam. Yes, they're- And uh, Michelle Mullet. We're gonna bring them all in. Three women who are running for office who are on the ballot on Tuesday. No, I'm uh, all about um, yeah. so guys so we're, are- Yeah, we're live right now. We have uh, Grant Smith here joining me, Mike Crawford host uh, with uh, candidate Ashaan Dabby Small. He's running for Boston City Council. And we just brought in three women who are running for office who have been on the show in the past, who we have endorsed. We're endorsing them all. We haven't already, we're definitely endorsing them all. Michelle Mullet for state rep. She's in the 20th Middlesex District, which is uh, Linfield, North Reading, Middleton, and Reading, Mass. Uh, you can find her at michellemullet.com or at vote for mullet uh, on Twitter. Uh, we also have Helena Fonts. She's running for uh, the Massachusetts Governor's Council. I believe it's District 6. It's my district. I can't wait to vote for her. I'm really, I'm, I'm telling my girlfriend, I said, I don't care who else you vote for. But promise me the one thing, and she finally agreed. I got her. I got the vote for you. So I, I picked up a vote today for Helena Fonts, uh, and we also have uh, Renee Fontes. Uh, Fontes, sorry, I'm saying it <laughs> wrong. I have to learn it right now, right? Helena Fontes. Yeah. Well, we talked about that. Font is the right way to pronounce it. I pronounce it the Americanized way. Fontes. Fontes. That's right. What about that, I pronounce it that way. Thank you, Michelle. Nice to finally meet you. Hi. Yes, and we're bringing everyone together. Everyone can say hi. Hi, Mike. Hi, everybody. Hello. I'm really excited to see everyone. I miss everybody. I miss seeing everybody. So, so happy to be here, ready for the primary, ready to crush it in the general. So, let's get started, Mike. And that's Michelle Mullet. And again, <laughs> she's running in Linfield, North Reading, Middleton, uh, Reading, Massachusetts, uh, 20th Middlesex District. And we also have Nicole Masalam back on the show. Uh, she's running for state rep in Medford and Malvin, right? Yep. Yeah. And so you, you three must be really like, especially I imagine uh, Helena and Nicole, because you have like big primaries. I know Michelle is, I don't, yeah, you know. I'm on cruise control. I got yeah. a green light. Nobody's um, running against me. So um, I, I'm happy to give Helena and Nicole more time than me because I, I'm, I'm getting through this Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> her big day is november that's right yeah. in november your, your big election is going to be in november and uh for some of some some the primary is the big election because if you win that you basically win the win the election so yeah uh, so we, so tell us how's everyone doing because you i mean tuesday's election day you're down to the wire how, how who wants to go first i, I just got a plug in here i voted for you helena well, thank you, <laughs> you Nicole, and my, my house for you i swear if i could i would <laughs> <laughs> thank you. 
Um, so I'll just say, yeah, there is um, two days left. I'm definitely feeling excited about um, the momentum. I mean, when I first got on this journey back in um, late January, and when I was reaching out, talking to people, I heard two things, um, either what, the what, the governor's council, what's that? Or, um, yeah, it should be abolished. So um, in the short time frame, I think, um, you know, the work of really like putting that seat on the map and letting people know the significance, right? Because our judges, clerks, parole, industrial accident review board, that has a huge impact um, on pr practically every community. So we should be paying attention. So I'm hearing a lot less than that. Um, it's one of those races, it's not the most like sexy race, um, but it's, you know, people are interested and excited and we should be because we need change. And where my campaign lacks big signs, big money and the endorsement of big names, one thing we do have is big plans and a strategy to do it. And people that are like, there's more of us that want this change um, than I would have ever anticipated at the start of this. So really excited. I'm as excited as I can be. And no, like, it's funny because when I was first <clears throat> voting, governor's council would always come up and I'd be like, I don't know who the heck these people are. And it just usually be one name. It'd be the guy who's who's the incumbent. Like it just, there would never be a, a challenge. And then this year with some of the stuff going on uh, in the courts and looking more into the courts and realizing how screwed up Massachusetts is because of the courts and that the governor's council really is so important. I think it's like the sexiest race of all now. Like for me, I'm just like, this is my race. Like I... I want you to win so badly right now. And not that I don't like the incumbent. I think he's actually probably one of the best governor councils there. But if this is like, to me, it's like a Capuana race versus Ayanna Presley. Right. Like, it's just, it's just like, like he, he's okay. He's okay. Like, what? Yeah. But like, let's take the next step. I've never been a woman of color, never been a person of color in the governor's council. That, that needs to happen. Um, you've been endorsed too. Like you, by a, a, like a lot, I've seen all of you actually have been endorsed. Like, tell us about some of your recent endorsements, Alina. Um, so some of my recent endorsements um, that I feel I'm the most proud of um, are the labor unions. I'm proud of all of my endorsements, um, but I'm most proud of the labor unions because again, at the start of this, um, like almost every organization that I reached out to had not previously endorsed for the governor's council. And I said, look, you have to be endorsing because like there has to be some accountability there. Endorsements provide that, right? Provides that relationship and that ongoing dialogue with constituency, right? And again, as an elected office, that's what you wanna be focused on. You wanna be focused on the people that you're elected to represent. And so um, even labor unions, right? And work injured workers, I said, hey, they um, seat the industrial accident board, the industrial accident review board. They're putting judges in those spaces. You should be paying attention. So it took a little while, a um, lot of education and outreach, um, but the fact that I recently secured the North Shore Labor Council endorsement, which, encom which encompasses 50 labor unions, um, around like situated throughout um district six i think i'm 
the most proud of that. And then obviously in the beginning, like the progressive groups really like they connected with uh, my vision and they've been supportive from day one. So very grateful and proud of those endorsements as well, because again, they had never previously endorsed. So it's good. The seed is being elevated um, and seen uh, for the significance that it has. So yay, all good stuff. And you also get uh, at least one elected rep. I know uh, Massachusetts State mm -hmm. Rep Mike Conley endorsed you this week. Yeah, and I was really excited about that um, for the simple fact that, you know, he's someone that I admire and, um, you know, I, I just find it telling, like, when you're an elected and, you know, you're getting a lot of pushback and you're not, like, a favorite, then I know you are doing something right. You are representing the people and that um, the rent moratorium, like, that was huge, especially in a community like Lynn where you know gentrification prior to COVID was displacing families at an alarming rate. Like the prices were going up, they're doing all this development um, for luxury housing and families that have been here for years are packing up with their young children that are in schools and getting pushed up north, like where? So um, I had a lot of respect, like I, that was a proud moment for me too. I even joked, I said, I'm gonna be like a fangirl and be like, oh my God, I'm gonna show my um, so yeah. <laughs> awesome. And again, it's a uh, uh, Helena Fontes. She's running mm -hmm. for governor's council district six in Massachusetts. Vote for her on Tuesday. Please vote for her. Oh, please. Yes. And get your family too. Tell, tell, you know, first person of color on the governor's council. I know. And you're color. 2020. That's right. Yeah. And, and you're, you're, you're a mental health worker. You, you told the story about your son. I, I am so in on your campaign. It's not even funny. Um, Nicole Masalem, I'm also in on your campaign. I'm giving you money too. Like, I, I love you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. tell, tell us about what's going on because you're getting endorsed too. Nicole. Yes. Yeah, it's been, this has been a highly competitive race. And the news we're getting from, you know, both city clerk's office is that just by early voting and mail in voting, uh, we've already surpassed. Uh, you know, the number of people voted in this type of race in the past. Mm -hmm. So this is very exciting. We've been really, you know, working to expand that. But, you know, this campaign is about the people. And I was very ecstatic just last, uh, was it two weeks ago now? I'm, I'm like in the campaign zone. Time mm -hmm. passes differently. <laughs> Michelle knows what I mean. <laughs> but, but, yeah, it's... Uh, you know, I just got endorsed by People for the American Way and Renew New England, which is a new group that uh, both uh, Bernie Sanders and Ayanna Presley went and spoke at their grand opening event for their, their kickoff. So it's very exciting. I love their policy uh, framework and people are responding like both Helena and I, we were on a list of races that came out this week where big Republican money is being spent to uh, keep the status quo. Um, Is that you know, funny? That they're, they're supporting Democrats. Republi let's say that again. Republican money. Yeah. Governor, Governor Baker. Baker. Like the special, uh, I mean, Helena, I know specifically, they're, they're spending, Governor Baker is spending money against you guys. And, and he's yeah. back in Democrats. I know, man. Massachusetts. It's crazy. Yeah. And he's it, a Republican. So that's he's a Republican. Yeah. And these are Republican donors like some of the wealthiest earners of Massachusetts and they're spending money in these, you know, races in democratic primaries. 
And let me tell you, I have no doubt why. The, my opponent is an anti-choice candidate, has voted time and again against not only marriage equality, but equal rights. And he's voted over and over again for corporate tax cuts and cuts to the wealthiest earners of Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And no other state in the union, except two others, two other states in the union, have cut taxes more drastically in the past 10 years than Massachusetts has to the tune of over $4 billion of our state budget annually. That's money that could be for our schools, which we know we've been defunding. That's money that we could be using to replace the water pipes that are over 100 years old and leaching lead into our water. I mean, our communities are suffering. We need those funds for our communities. It's Especially cool. now. I mean, this COVID-19 yeah. has, has wiped out the states and, and President Trump has said he's not giving them any money. He's not giving the cities or towns or the states any money. So this is, this is a, a really a crisis point. Yeah, people are hurting and I'm sorry, you know, people need the, to realize this didn't happen because of COVID. COVID was the straw that broke the camel's back. We were already very close to the tipping point. Uh, mm -hmm. COVID just accelerated that process and made it very drastic and put our lives on pause enough for us to be able to notice what was happening around us. Thank you. That's Nicole Masalam. She's running for uh, Massachusetts State Rep in Malden and in Medford, Massachusetts. Uh, you can vote for her on Tuesday. I would highly suggest it. Especially if you're in Malden or Medford, definitely go vote for her. Uh, we also have Michelle Mullet. She's running for state rep in the 20th Middlesex District, Linfield, North Reading, Middleton, and Reading. Uh, MichelleMullet.com. Been on the show a lot. Dude, you've really you've been working for it. Like number four or five, man. You, <laughs> I'm feeling pretty comfortable here. <laughs> yeah. To you again. And, and you've uh, you've picked up a lot of endorsements too. I've noticed late, lately. Yeah, um, <clears throat> not I have more than than is out there just because of the primary. I'm kind of holding back till after the primary, but um, the ones that are out there already are like Moms Demand Action is the biggest one. Um, that's huge. Run in Mass. I love those women. They are just the technology and the brains behind most of these successful political campaigns. Um, 350 Mass, which is an environmental group. Um, and local Democratic Town Committees, like North Reading Democratic Town Committee. So, you know, I, I'm picking up speed. It, it's a little bit hard to get above the noise, whether it's coronavirus or Black Lives Matter or Kennedy versus Markey, you know. Um, so I'm not going to get above that noise till September 2nd. So I'm okay with that. Um, in the meantime, I'm just kind of fortifying myself or any kind of Republican attack, but it looks like right now Jones is just doing a kind of uh, hear no evil, see no evil. He's pretending I don't exist. Like he sent out a mailer this week that it's just like a PR thing. It's like his picture, hey, I'm a nice guy, <laughs> remember me. <laughs> so I, I think I got him pretty scared. Uh, the best thing that's happened so far is most recently Boston Herald um, really attacked Jones for being endorsed by Environmental League Massachusetts, which is another um, environmental group and lobbyist group in, in Massachusetts. And uh, 
they picked him over me, but it's really kicking them in the ass because the Boston Herald's like, this guy is a lefty. He's a Republican lefty. Look at him. He gets endorsed by ELM. So, I mean, he's getting hit on both sides. Liberals hate him, and now conservatives are like, what are you doing? He's a rhino. Yeah, he's just, he's he's been there too long. He's getting hit on both sides. Um, and they said, you know, the Boston Herald's most conservative newspaper was just like, he's got a tough re-election fight this year. They didn't mention my name, but I know who they're talking about, and we're, we're probably going to win, so um, everything's going great. Um, got tons of volunteers doing a lot of, like, lit drops and uh, text banking pretty soon. Um, lots of yard signs. I have, there's zero Jones yard signs out here. He's just kind of Jones. Coast, coasting on. People know me, but... The district has changed. He's been there for 25 years. The district has changed. People have changed. He doesn't represent that new community. And he most definitely doesn't represent the new progressive younger movement, which has a sense of urgency when it comes to everything, whether it's environment, the economy, and right now coronavirus. When this stuff first started, this guy was posting pictures of like his menu at a breakfast for other politicos. Like, Dude, people need to know what's happening. How do, what do I do with my kids? Like school's closing. And so that to me is just really tone deaf and it's not who you want to represent you in the state house. I mean, it's, I'm talking it's about lazy that. too. It's, it's what bugs me. It's lazy. We see that all the time. Absolutely. Um, and then, you know, just to end on, on the idea that we need more women and moms in office. That's why me, Nicole, and Helena are so important. We're imperative to having that perspective and looking at the world through this lens of, uh, what do I do with my kids if I'm a teacher and I have to teach from an empty classroom, who's gonna take care of my kids? Like that's a catch 22 of like, you, you only pay me like 40 grand a year. How am I gonna afford like some random childcare tutor nanny? Like it, it's turning to this, like the days of the governess where the people that have money can afford to get their kids a tutor and they can still work from home, but we don't all have that luxury. And that's a problem with politicians and people in the state house right now. They assume we all have the same situations, the, whole, the same family um, set up, the, the same resources, financial resources, and we don't. So until we get those, those diverse voices in the state house and more women, um, it's just gonna continue business as usual. And as you've seen, you know, in 20, just a couple of years ago, this is why we're having more women run for office and win, because we're tired of just being, like asking politicians, could, could you vote the right way? Can you vote in my favor as a woman, as a woman of color? No, forget that. It's not gonna happen. I'll just take your seat. Yeah, that's it. I love it. So we have four can we have four candidates right now who are all ch challenging incumbents. They're all men too, all, all white men yeah. that have I think have been in their seats for too long. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and it's not for me. It's not all about color. Like you know, I know some of our our listeners hate when I go on about color, and they always end up being white guys. But <laughs> I get it. I get some of it. I get some of it. Yeah, but, but at I the mean, same no time, dusty. it's a, there's no yeah. accounting for being dusty. Yeah. It could be whatever yeah. color. But 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 it's like you know, years. a lot of that is our like like our cannabis audience, for instance. I'm going to give them an example because when it's frustrating for them to see five commissioners 
and none of them know really much about cannabis. Like they're not really consumers. Like they're not, you know what I mean? People from the cannabis industry. And, and when they, you know, when they get advice from the cannabis industry, it's always these corporate guys who really, they don't know anything either. They're just about the money. So yeah. if our audience can get that, can you imagine that you're a woman and it's always men telling women how to feel about women issues, or you're a person of color, you're a black person, and you want to speak on black issues, but it's a white guy telling you how, I mean, that is the problem. It's, it's a lack of voices. It's a lack of representation. Right. Uh, we know in the cannabis community that just by most of us, the same ones at least, that just having Shaleen title, just having that one voice that kind of represents the cannabis community, that kind of represents people of color, that represents a different side of the coin, makes all the difference. If that one voice wasn't there, we'd really be screwed so that's what i'm always trying to get is more different uh, perspectives younger people because i feel like younger people renters i mean we have a sean on here he he's a renter like that to me is underrepresented so often renters are un underrepresented uh people of color are underrepresented women are underrepresented younger people are underrepresented so this is what i talk about when and i, I want to see more diversity Go ahead, Hashan. Out there, I'm 18 years old, running on the sole fact, you know, to help my community to build and you know be able to make sure my community grows together and that we we be able to talk together and be you know around each other together. You know, I don't want division in my community, and so you know all of us doing the things that we're doing, Helena, um, and everyone else that's you know running against all these incumbents. This is what we were here to do you know we may have been activated we may have thought about it we may have talked about it with people and gotten their opinion and advice but at the same moment we're doing something that's going to change everyone that's going to change whether it's locally state like i said federally before you guys got on this is going to impact everyone so helena you guys i really you know i you know we're running and you know i support yana presley i voted for her this year it was my first time voting I remember I walked into the um, to the um, the Murphy School in Dorchester, and they were like, first time voting, people were clapping, and I was just like, oh my gosh, people are just looking at me. <laughs> so it's very Michelle, you know, you guys. I just um, I can't tell you how inspiring it is to see that you know not just people of color, but women are mobilizing and organizing and doing the great thing that they know they can do, that they are that were put here on this earth to do. Because I say this, and I say this to everyone. You know, the women are the, are queens. Each women are our queens. And the, the reason why I say this is because they birthed us into this world, whether we want to like it or not. They may have not birthed you. They may have birthed you, Michael. <laughs> they may have birthed you. But at the end of the day, the people who the give women us. Women did, though. Yeah. People, I mean, people who like, push yeah. out <laughs> in this world to do something with ourselves and our life. And that's why I got to give, you know, praise and props to my, 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 my mom for doing that. It's the women. And if we're not uplifting, like we're trying to tell women what to do, that's not going to cut it here. And so for these three bold women running against incumbents that are not of color, but they want to represent everyone and also bring in the issues that affect moms and in, in, on daily lives, that's what it's about. We have to make sure that everybody's life matters. I made a post this morning and I said, I'm a human being, regardless of sexual race, orientation, gender, anything. At one thing, we have flesh and bones, skin and blood. What else do you see? You know, we're all human beings at the end of the day. 
So I really want to give a shout out to all three of you for doing the things that you're doing. If there's anything I can do, um, please let me know. Send me an email. Text me after this because I, you know, I'm about supporting each other, being able to uplift each other because that's the way we're going to get it. That's the only way we're going to be able to do that. And it's we support and uplift, uplift each other. We have to do that. We can't bash each other. We can't do that. The commits, if they have their own problems, we can, you know, attack them, but we can't attack each other. We have to uplift each other. And that's the only way that our communities are going to be able to grow and we have to uplift. So. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we do. We're, we're working together. I do know that when I've been making voter calls, sometimes people will, you know, what's unique about this year is that people are getting their ballots in the mail. And for the first time, they're able to take a look at what all of these uh, races are, these positions and who the candidates are. And they actually have some time to maybe do a quick Google search or do a little research uh, before they cast their vote. So I've been getting, um, you know, conversations with people and they're, and they'll say, oh, that is this race, you know, with this and that. And so whenever I can, I, I'm plugging Helena, you know, letting people know that she's an excellent candidate who's going to be out there working for them. And I've, I've heard members of, you know, other progressive campaigns, you know, we've all been helping each other out. Someone on another campaign happened to call someone in my district who had just moved. So they're like, go vote for Nicole. You know, and it, it is, we've, we've really got to support each other and be there for each other because it is not easy. And uh, these guys are deeply entrenched. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort. So my hat is off to anybody who throws their hat in the ring at That's this point. Right. That's right. It's huge. It's I mean, tough. just, I, I felt like that when I applied recently to the Cannabis Control Commission, mm -hmm. and that's just filling out like a, a thirty-page application. Yeah. It <laughs> takes a while, but but that's not months of you know campaigning. I mean, that's just that's another level that I just yeah you got you, you all too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you all deserve it. Like you deserve big praise for running, putting yourself out and there. I, I think like going back to my race and how it's connected to everyone else is that, you know, mm -hmm. here's a guy that's been running mostly on a post for 25 years. We can't afford to give away the power of a state house seat every two years. We can't give these guys a pass. So by all of us stepping up, getting those 200 signatures or whatever it was at the time, mm -hmm. put your name on the ballot, that's power. It doesn't matter if you win because this right. whole year, he feels pressure. He votes like a Democrat every single time. The only reason, because I, I'm on the ballot. And the same thing with everyone else, like in the progressive movement, this is how we build power and change the face of power in politics. We have to do it every election, every time, and we don't let up. You put the pressure on these guys, they vote the way you want. That's right. You know, Tito Jackson, uh, when he was city councilor, came on the show and he was decided to run for mayor came on the show a couple of times and, and like our views went through the roof one of the time, like a couple of times. One of the last times though, it was like, you know, when it was getting close, you know, to election day and those numbers just like went through the roof. And within like, we, we talked a lot about cannabis and how Mayor Walsh was against cannabis in Boston. Mm -hmm. Within five days, Mayor Walsh had sent out a statement that he was going to allow dispensaries to open in Boston. Like, Wow. That is the power of, and now we know Tito Jackson didn't win that campaign, right. but a lot of his ideas won. 
And a lot of the people running right after him, like Ayana, we can talk a lot of campaigns that were very similar to the Tito campaign that just, they won. And that those ideas have been winning. And now Tito is uh, getting licensed in Boston, which is interesting for a cannabis company. <laughs> so we helped him out too, you know, oh, so a little karma there. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. You know, so we're, we're the young jerks. Uh, we have a lot of uh, different guests on the show right now. We have Sean Dabney Small. He's running for Boston City Council District 3. He's going to be on the ballot next year. Uh, we have three great guests right now who are running for office who are going to be on the ballot this Tuesday. Michelle Mullet for State Rep 20. Middlesex District, Helena Fontes uh, for uh, the Mass Governor's Council, District 6, and Nicole Masalam for State Rep in Medford and Malden, uh, also running for office. You can vote for all of them. You can, I don't think they're all going to be on the same ballot, but you could, you know, if, if they're in your district, yeah, go vote for them, please. Them. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, that's proof that we, the, the progressive movement is statewide. Like, it's okay. not just around Boston. We're, we're paying attention all over the state and we're just not going to let up. Like and, we're not thinking yeah. it every two year terms. We're thinking like, you know, the next 10 years, this is how we build power. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And people always, I, I notice people always say there's never any good candidates. There are, you just gotta, you gotta go vote. And yeah, yeah like, I love what you mentioned, Nicole, that you can find out ahead of time when you get these, you know, mail-in ballots in front of you and say, wow, I didn't know this race was there. Let me go look it up and see which one I should vote for. I think that's going to actually help uh, get a better uh, voter, you know, voter return yeah. in, on these elections. Um, and we I mean, we, movement oh, building. I mean, many people don't understand, uh, and that's something that I've learned from campaigning, is they always tell you to focus in on what they classify as these super voters. Super voters are people who trend very older and less diverse than the rest of the population. And these are the ones who are making these lasting decisions of putting people in power who then go on for decades uh, in these positions unopposed. So it's really about base building too and bringing awareness of our elections so that politicians and candidates are forced to court you know, public support uh, and, and greater diversity uh, in their base. So, you know, that's part of what we've been doing in my campaign is we've really been building that bench and that base so that win or lose, it's there, uh, you know, for myself, if I choose to run again or someone else, uh, you, you know, another progressive uh, who would run, but that's what we, what we need. We really need that. That's right. Mm -hmm. Grant Smith, you've been quiet over there. You probably have, now no, you're I've eating been, too. Do you have any questions? No, I've been I've been enjoying the conversation and eating my trail mix. I've been up since three a.m., so I need some energy at the end Ooh. of the day to keep going. I know I'm twisting your arm. I feel bad, but because I, oh, I want to keep you on. I want to jump in too. Just say um, I'm so happy about that vote from uh, on on the deliveries. Like that's huge, and that's something you guys have been working on for a long time. So I'm I'm so happy um, for you guys that. That means a lot to a lot of people. And then, and then the caregiver piece too. That's like, uh, for me personally, I mean, I love the delivery part, for, but selfishly. Yeah. Oh, I thought they were like connected, but. They are kind of, I mean, they're both awesome yeah. for us all, but they're two different things, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's all awesome. There's so much good stuff happening. Yeah, I was excited to see that caregiver one. It's needed. It is. I can't wait. That's why I want to, I want to keep Grant 
that's why I'm keeping Grant here because I'm going to ask him a bunch of questions after you all leave <laughs> about, about the caregivers and when it starts and you know all that stuff. Awesome. But, so do you like? So we have four candidates here. Do you have any questions for each other? I mean, you're all some of you all meet. Who's meeting who? Who has already met each other? I want to know now. Like, have we brought anyone well, together? Well, me and Nicole are pretty old friends at this point. We pulled our nomination papers together at Secretary of State back, what I call BC, before coronavirus. <laughs> but Lena is new to the scene. Um, I haven't met her just through Zoom. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm really excited about your campaign. I have a question for you two, and that is like for primary day or evening, like, do you have like a live Zoom thing or what are you gonna Party. do for that? Yeah kind of election night coverage. Oh, you're talking to us on the show or the candidates? To the candidates. Or yeah. both, actually. <laughs> no, I have no I have no plans. It's, uh, sometimes we've done them, but yeah. yeah. I, I'm interested to see what the candidates are doing, though. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll just leave it. Oh, yeah. Go ahead, Nicole. You can go first. Oh, no, no. You go first. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, that's still up in the air because um, I have a pretty big terrain and um, obviously like different municipalities are like doing, handling like, you know, the tallies differently. So we're still trying to figure out will we actually like be able to get all the results in at a reasonable hour. Cause we're talking like from Boston, all the way up um, North Shore, Lynn and Marblehead, Nahant. Um, so I'll probably like in terms of like election night, um, assuming I'll know, although 2020 is the year where anything can happen. Um, uh, assuming I know, I plan to kind of do an address and then either or, I think a celebration is warranted, win or lose. Um, win, you know, we're, we're going to do big, probably be Zoom. <laughs> I don't know why. I can't tell you the specifics. Um, same with um, a loss because I really don't see like where there's really a loss here because in spite of like, even if I don't get the seat, I think we've done an amazing job getting the word out and getting the council on the radar. So it's all win, it's all celebratory. So, although I'm hoping for the best, I'm hoping for the best. <laughs> I like the party. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my, uh, that's my plan. So some of it still be determined. We have kind of an idea of what we want to yeah. do. I wouldn't want it. election nights like pretty exhausting. I really want to be able to bring my full energy because there's just too many people to count that I'm really thankful for who made this journey possible. So, excellent. And what about Nicole? You plan on doing some kind of party or event, or not sure yet? Yeah, we're gonna do a Zoom results party uh, so that we can all watch it come in together. And Helena, if you need some help, we're we're gonna have people. Um, at the at the polls at the end of the night for the ticker tapes mm -hmm. so you're you're on the ballot in my district as well so i i'm happy to to share those numbers with you <laughs> to help you in that part oh well thank you but it's, it's nerve-wracking <laughs> i think your area is covered i have like lots of help okay. um, those like smaller um, communities like Nahant, like I reached out to Mike the other day. Marblehead, Swampskit. Swampskit. But I think like I'm, I'm hopeful we'll have uh, the results that night, but I just don't want to count on it because you just don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. We don't know too about the mail-in ballots, how that's going to kind of yeah. might change things a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. so it could be interesting. But I, I, I just wish you all the best on Tuesday. I hope you uh, bring home victories. And even if you don't, like, 
like a loss is a win a lot of times. The, like I think it all the time in, in, in your campaigns because you you brought up the issues, you've made the election like it's tangible. People people are excited about your campaigns. People are excited. I'm excited to vote for you. It makes voting. You know, I wish I could vote for all three. You know all three that are going to be on the ballot on Tuesday, but I can't because I'm not in your district, but I, at least one of you, I am 100% checking the box and we're endorsing you all. Uh, Grant, do you have any final questions on the cannabis angle for these candidates here before we let um, them go? Well, I'll ask the same question to the three candidates that I asked uh, to Ashwan, which was, um, so we've seen an abject failure on the part of the executive branch to spend cannabis excise tax revenue uh, assisting communities that were most disproportionately impacted by the drug war. Last year alone, $70.6 million in cannabis excise tax revenue, exactly zero of those dollars went to communities disproportionately impacted, despite the fact that that is one of the categories in law mandated for those funds to go to. So my question is, do you think something like SB 2650, uh, the social equity loan fund, which would provide 0% interest loans to social equity and economic empowerment applicants seeking cannabis licenses in the Commonwealth is a good pathway to start engendering that participation through the use of the excise tax revenue? I also mentioned that something that Shalene Title and uh, Chairman Hoffman support with the Cannabis Control Commission. Oh, so I'll go first. Everybody's like, uh. <laughs> uh, so I mean, if I'm elected, absolutely, I'm supporting 2650. Um, that's part of what I'm running on is, is equity, transparency. Um, oh, someone said it. You know, I mean, there was a whole episode of the Patriot Act with Hassan Minaj of how bad the cannabis industry is in Massachusetts um, as far as you know, covering that community that was most impacted by the war on drugs. So if you're going to be taking that money from, you know, the sale of this product that used to be illegal, um, we better be talking about how to recover and help those families and communities recover from the same product. Okay, so if you got John Boehner 10 years ago it was like, oh, no, that's evil. And then he's making millions of dollars off the same product then we better have this front and center of this new industry in Massachusetts. So getting rid of the stigma and then taking back that money that is owed to those communities, absolutely. A quick point on that, I do wanna give both uh, other candidates a chance to jump in as well. But the, uh, you mentioned earlier, uh, Michelle, how important the expansion of the delivery format was in Massachusetts. And to give some context in, the, in particular as it relates to equity, the reason why that was so monumental is before that change happened, uh, adult use cannabis delivery in Massachusetts was basically going to be akin to an Uber Eats style courier, where the courier businesses would go around picking up orders at retail price from dispensaries and then delivering it. Now, that uh, was bad because these delivery licenses are exclusive to participants in the state's social equity or economic empowerment program, which are meant to engender market participation by the communities most disproportionately impacted by the drug war. So what the Cannabis Commission did was after listening to members of those communities, not only did they expand the amount of time those licenses will be exclusively available to those equity applicants, but they also changed the nature of the delivery license to basically allow those applicants to purchase product at wholesale from cultivators and manufacturers, store it in a warehouse, and sell it directly. 
And that's one of the most meaningful changes for equity that's happened in the past three years. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I wholeheartedly support these efforts. And you know, I agree with what Michelle was saying. I, I watched that episode, actually. I love the Patriots. It shows basically how a, a lot of these people who profited from the war on drugs are now also profiting off of the cannabis industry and fixing it against uh, you know, communities of color, against social equity uh, uh, candidates. So it's, you know, they, they're rigging the game. And, and Mike was talking about it earlier. You know, it's about representation. Look at the Cannabis Control Commission. How many of them are actually from the cannabis community and know about these issues and how they impact people? Uh, especially, you know, um, with medicinal users, with people from communities most impacted by the war on drugs. Uh, so it needs to, we definitely need to not only do these uh, 0% or 0% interest loans, but I think we really need to begin expanding upon that. And if the, you know, the administration, if the governor isn't willing to do that, then perhaps the legislature needs to step in and enact some legislation to force it. Excellent, thank you, Nicole. Yeah. And Helena, you want to mention that? I know it's you're you're not going to be voting on this because you'd be at the governor's council. So, but what yeah, do you but I will say I'll support it. And in instances like, although it's outside the scope of the work of the governor's council, um, like you know, supporting the work of um, strong, competent legislators like Nicole and Michelle. Um, and standing behind them, um, absolutely. But um, in terms of like right now, like we're going into like the impacts of, um, we have a number of individuals um, that were incarcerated pre-legalization, um, right, of cannabis. And we have a parole board that is so dysfunction, so dysfunctional, I should say. And so I really am going in there because you cannot talk about pardons and commutations without cleaning up the board that initiates this process. Those applications go in through the parole board. So we cannot have a law enforcement monopolized parole board that's making over $130,000 annually managing a 200, I'm sorry, a $24 million budget um, and not hold them to high expectations. And we have parole people waiting that are parole eligible waiting over a year. So really going in there with the mindset of like mitigating some of the past harm, um, being careful, like not just reaffirming someone, those seats are termed. Every five years they're up for um, re reappointment. And just because you're up for reappointment, like show me how have you demonstrate, like how are we getting people out of incarceration? How are we prioritizing these applications? Are we looking at these applications? So I'm really going in to, to look at it from that angle. Um, and it does start with the parole board and they're supervising people out in the community um, and they're connecting them with resources and, and trying to, the, the point and intent is so that someone can have a successful reintegration into community. You need people with various backgrounds. You need human services, you need social services, mental health, person with lived experience, that's invaluable. So that's the work that I'll be focusing on um, while supporting um, Nicole and Michelle at the White House. Thing. Yeah, at the, the White House, the state. <laughs> I've been in my house. <laughs> it's so Perfect. awesome. The state house. 
Thank you, Helena Foss. Uh, we, we've got some great guests. I want to thank you all for being on the show. Uh, Sean uh, Dabney Small running for Boston City Council District 3. You'll find him on the ballot next year. Um, if you want to look him up on Twitter, a Sean for Boston. Uh, we also want to thank Michelle Mullet for State Rep, 20th Middlesex District. She's going to be on the ballot this Tuesday. You can vote for her. Linfield, North Reading, Middleton, and Reading, and in in those towns, go vote for her this Tuesday. MichelleMullet.com if you want to find more information or at Vote for Mullet on Twitter. There you go. And uh, I also want to thank uh, Helena Fontes running for Massachusetts Governor's Council. Uh, she's also on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, you also have a website too, right? I know you do. Thank yes, you. HelenaFontes.com. There you go. And definitely vote for her District 6. And Nicole Masalam uh, running for Massachusetts State Rep in Medford and Malden. I can vote for her as well this Tuesday. You've also got, you're, you're all over everything. Why, why don't you tell people where they can find you? You can find me at votemasalam.com. And we believe in language accessibility. So it's translated in over seven different languages on my website, as well as I'm on Facebook, Twitter at nmosalam, as well as Instagram. Awesome. <laughs> we got you covered. Perfect. So I want to thank you so much, all four of you, for spending time with us and uh, wish you luck on your races. And uh, we'll keep in touch after you, after this Tuesday. We'll see what happens. All right. Awesome. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Good luck, everybody. Yeah. I know. And, and hopefully we're going to keep Grant Smith on here as well. Grant, I still want to talk to you about cannabis. All right. I'll, gi I'll give you a few minutes before bed, Mike. Yeah, a few minutes before bed, right? Because I, I got to go do some stuff too. But we, I mean, this I, was I, a, just go to, I just go to bed earlier than you, so. <laughs> well, sometimes I don't go to bed at all. I mean, last night I was like, Dude, usually I'm out, I like by 10, 11, 12. But last night I was up to like three, four o'clock in the morning because I was just watching what was going on, on the West Coast. I just, I don't know if I'm going to be able to sleep tonight watching what's going on in Portland. And this country is, I don't know. It, at this point, I feel like both sides just need to take a step back. You know, and this isn't trying to be all sides because I am not all sides. But Something, something's got to give because the violence thing on both sides is not working. Three people are dead. Two people on one side, one person on the other side. I think it's time to just take a deep breath, everyone. But let, I, I, the reason I have you here is I want to talk about cannabis. Massachusetts Cannabis Control Commission had a huge, huge hearing this week. And it was about the regulations. They proposed the changes, they had some hearings, a bunch of people spoke. And, you know, it's, we've been predicting this. A lot of people, it's funny, because we get a lot of crap. You and I get a lot of crap from the idiots. I'm calling them idiots today. And I should. You know, I know maybe you're giving me a face, like maybe not, but we told them, like, shit has sucked in Massachusetts. We admit it. We know it. And then shit started to get better recently. And we've been promising some good changes. And guess what? The people came out and they testified and the Cannabis Control Commission listened to them. And that's been the trend lately. And it's slowly getting better. And we saw some great, I mean, this is like, for me, the caregiver thing, I gave up on it. 2012, 2013, KOP and I, Michael Malthar, we were testifying. There's videos, you can see him talking about it. It was suit after suit after suit after suit, he said. 
And then we got up there and we talked about what's the cost going to be for the patients? How are you getting rid of caregivers? How you, you know, and everything we said was true for the last five or six years. And no one's been listening to us until Grant and some of the, you know, new, the new advocates and the, and the new movement. And I say new because you guys weren't around then, like, cause you were younger. I mean, a, a lot of the new generation that's now advocating for this, they were just too young back then. You know, so like we've got like a, you know, before it felt like it was us against these suits, just myself and Michael. That was it. It was like us versus the suits. Now it's a whole movement and the movement's winning. And, and it's really exciting to see. And the big changes that you were pushing for, number one, that I'm most excited about personally is the caregivers because the caregivers, they outlawed. They went to a one-to-one, -one which made it non-existent. No one could find a caregiver. Now, I'm not saying this is going to be perfect. I still think there's some problems with it. But five to one seems like there's actually an opportunity for myself and other patients to actually maybe find a, care, a legal caregiver in Massachusetts now and not get ripped off. When is that going to happen? Like, when, when, when will we start seeing these changes? Like, when could someone become a caregiver for five people in Massachusetts? Well, uh, a few different things there. Um, to answer your question, probably... The final vote will be September 24th, um, and there's going to be a little lag because the state patient portal that I'm sure you and other patients are familiar with, it's where you sign up to be a medical marijuana patient or a caregiver or a um, pediatric patient's um, guardian signs up to get their pediatric medication card. Um, that system is hard-coded by the commission, and the executive director kind of oversees how the system functions. And one thing they're gonna to have to change in the system is this caregiver ratio. It's not gonna be a huge overhaul, but the executive director, Sean Collins, at the uh, hearing a few days ago did mention that we should ex expect a little bit of lag time between when the regulations pass and when caregivers can sign up high patients. Um, but that's, <coughs> that part is important, but the real key insight of this caregiver change is that for people who don't know, caregivers are not selling medication to patients. They grow medication, and then they can only charge the patient the cost to grow the medication, not including their time, just the actual cost to run a cannabis grow, and then the cost to transport the medication to the patient. The reason why dispensaries, a lot of corporate dispensaries and their front groups fought this caregiver expanded ratio since 2012 is that the more patients have access to at-cost medicine, the less those for-profit dispensaries can charge patients. Right now, those dispensaries charge patients 350 to 400 an ounce, whereas a caregiver giving to you that same ounce at cost would be closer to 150 or $200 an ounce. So the dispensaries sometimes even less. The mail. Yeah, and maybe even right. sometimes less. Like and I'm getting with, shake up in Maine for even better than that now. I mean, it's like, and it's really good stuff. Like, I'm like, you know what? I'm getting all shake from now on. I like this popcorn stuff they have up but, in Maine. The main, the main shake is better than what you get, what you get for product in Massachusetts. You know, you might get a nice budded mass, but I, I just don't like the product either, especially yeah. for the price. It's like they, they screw you twice. You're like, oh, I paid all this money, and then you get the product, and you're like, ugh. But that, that's karma for them. They tried to keep prices high and quality, quality low through an artificial monopoly, and they finally lost. Um, and the, the best part about it is this caregiver program isn't for profit. So the only people who really are going to want to be involved with this are the people who are actually willing Helping to do patients. this at cost. And so this is going to happen in October. So basically in October, this fall, 
a lot of us patients may be able to get a legal caregiver in Massachusetts for the first time. This will be really exciting to see. Hopefully it really, hopefully it works. I, I, I really hope that a lot of people consider, especially the growers, especially the growers right now who are kind of on the gray market. This is a way you can go more legal, you know? So I hope, I hope people consider doing this. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely, uh, uh, again, not a, pro a for-profit system, but it's a regulated system, and it definitely lets one, uh, in a way that's legally protected, care for some vulnerable patients, learn how to grow, learn the ins and outs of preparing medication for patients that they maybe can't get at dispensaries. So it's really, a, it, for the commission to have expanded this ratio, despite attempts by some of the dispensaries and their front groups to sabotage it, that was really a reflection of almost a seismic shift in the commission's mindset. And that same shift uh, was reflected in what we talked about. I just lost you. The public testimony, I think you're talking about. You still there, Grant? Yeah, it looks like we lost you, bro. Then better access. Oh, I'm back. We actually saw a liberalization of cannabis policy that resulted in better access for patients, lower prices, and an expanded uh, expanded competition in the delivery market. I was going to ask you about the delivery market. I guess you got to that. You got that to that a couple times already. So, I mean, you must be psyched. There was a lot of work that you you were really pushing for both of these things. You must oh, be not me. Not, not me. Um, this was without question an organic grassroots movement that uh, came together in particular uh, on the delivery issue, thanks to um, the Massachusetts Cannabis Association for Delivery. Uh, Devin Alexander, who was on the program a few months ago, folks can go back and listen to that one. Um, Morris Party, Aaron and Janelle Goins, Christopher Fervra. Those folks really not only got this concept of expanded delivery to allow wholesaling and warehousing in front of the commission they got it in front of them in a way that you could not deny that the financial viability of the courier model would have resulted in bankruptcy no, and definitely. as soon as that got through to the commission there was like a light bulb went off in their head so all the credit to those folks for their excellent work but specifically on the caregiver part though i mean i gotta uh i i i, I want you to get credit for this because I know that you did a lot of work behind the scenes on the caregiver. You talked to probably every commissioner. Am I right on that? Well, yeah. And the greatest part about the commissioners is if you email them uh, and you're not criminally extorting them, they will meet with you. If you email them one-on-one -on -one and say, I would like to meet with you. they won't I don't know. I, I have a feeling Britt McBride might, might not. I mean, she's leaving now, but I, I have a feeling she's still mad at me. So, so don't, to, if you you're not a dick like I am, if you're not a dick like me. And, <laughs> you have to get, uh, you have to get her name right now that she's done well, so Britta, much good work. Britta. Yeah. I like her. I actually do. I, I like Britta McBride. I do. I mean, she, uh, uh, we should also mention, you know, there's some openings on the Cannabis Control Commission coming up. Uh, Britta McBride admitted, uh, not admitted. She, I don't know. What did she do? She confirmed she was leaving this week. Announced. Yeah, she announced. Thank you. That's the word I'm looking for. She announced that she's leaving uh, very soon from the Cannabis Control Commission. And I've come around to her. You know, early, earlier in the year, I was asking people whether we should ask her to resign. I ran a poll. And I don't think she was too happy. And I, I have a feeling she's still upset about that. I don't blame her. But I've come around because, like, she was good. I mean, she, look, she's the health and safety. She's, she's the safety representative. She's supposed to be law enforcement, right? I mean, oh, no, I mean, 
That's definitely who she talks to the most, but it's any public safety concerns. Yeah, but like, all right, she's going to leave, right? She's, her title is public safety, right? Who do you think they're going to put on there now? Probably someone way worse. Like she came around number one on the caregiver issue. She, uh, the thing that I liked a lot is she didn't, she didn't, you know, a lot of times when these big cannabis applicants were up there talking bullshit, she would call them out. And, and the big thing is I think that she cares like, you know, public safety. I, I think she does care about employee safety. Like that was another part like that I think is missing on this cannabis control commission. I don't think they give a shit half the time, you know, everyone's caught up in patients, which I think they should be concerned about, you know, there's a patient movement. And I feel like a lot of times the Cannabis Control Commission didn't care about patients, but now they're hearing us and they're doing some things for us. Great. They've changed things over the, not just on the caregivers, but even some of the other changes they made recently. But applicants, they seem to care about the micro applicants. They seem to care about the SE and EE. But for me, I feel like the employees were always getting left behind. And I feel like they didn't have a voice. And I feel like that she was one of the people, I think Shalene Title Karras, I think they're like the two voices on the Cannabis Control Commission, as far as I can tell, that even care about employees at all. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to miss her, actually, after this. I know a lot of people are like, good riddance, and we're glad she's gone. And, you know, who, who are they going to replace her with? Ed Davis? Like, you know, someone way worse? I mean, Ed Davis couldn't, wouldn't even be the worst either, I guarantee you, because he's kind of uh, – he seems kind of moderate for a former big city police chief, but you know, there are names out there in public safety that they could put on that board that would be way worse than her. And we'll see what happens. I mean, we don't but know. On a, on a more positive note, what the, the big changes to the expanded caregiver ratio to the uh, delivery to the expanded equity priority period for delivery, what that all reflects is that civic engagement in good faith works. You don't have to be this corrupt corporate front working for big cannabis to make effective regulatory change. If you get together uh, well-meaning people and you present ideas that the community is willing to support, if you reach out uh, to your uh, representatives, your elected officials, your regulators, and you meet with them one-on-one, like uh, MCAD did with the data on delivery, uh, like patients did with the expanded caregiver ratio, it has an impact. And at a certain point, it has such an impact that the corporate forces can't stop the, 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 the progress of history. And this is actually something I've been thinking about a lot lately. American politics, and it's been this way since the beginning of the republic, is very weird. There's the sort of normal way of doing politics where, you know, influence uh, people with a lot of money by lobbyists and they influence lawmakers and regulators. But then there's these moments, and you can kind of feel that we're in one right now, where the historical powder keg comes together in such a way where there's a fundamental shift in how regulation or lawmaking is done. And although it's not the biggest national story, we saw one of those moments in Massachusetts cannabis policy history with the changes to delivery and caregivers. And just having a front row seat to that is very humbling and extremely, extremely awesome. It happens sometimes. You know, I think the the problem on all of that is the expense. Like, it sounds good. It sounds great. You know, they listened to the people, the people showed up. But there's a huge cost in that. You know, the cost for me back when I used to do that stuff, I don't do it anymore. I mean, I, I didn't even, 
I'll, I'm going to be as honest as I can. I didn't even write the commission. You know, I didn't know if it would actually help because I think some of them maybe don't like me. So I was like, why bother wasting my time if, if, if I think it might not even help? But just it's, it's a time thing. There's the, people have to sacrifice time and energy to show up. And that's a part of democracy that I don't like in a way. I, I love it in a way, but it's like the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Like, cause I mentioned the employees. That's why the employees aren't getting any help. Cause the employees can't afford to show up there. They can't afford, they, they don't, they're not organized. They're not, they're just trying to figure out where they're going to eat their next sandwich. You know what I'm saying? So it's difficult. You know, I, I love democracy. I think it's the best system we have. But on the other side, it's like there's a huge cost. And this is why a lot of times people of color and working class people get shut out. Because after you're done working 60 hours a week, you really want to go spend time on the government? Most people don't. You know? And it's, it's why COVID, although, so COVID's been very unique for one group of people that was historically marginalized, um, and that's the disabled, in the sense that it's kind of opened up democracy in, to folks like myself who are right. homebound. But you bring up a good point, which is that even with those expanded access pathways, it is a time sink. And, yeah. it requi- and, and if you pro- work a job, like, like me, like I, I'd, I'd be watching those things sometimes, and I'm like, man, I should try to get in on that today. And, but I, I, I'm, I'm walking dogs. Like, you know, I'm looking at it. I don't know when they're going to call me. I can't set aside four hours to be like, all right, I'm going to go speak to the Cannabis Control Commission and, and give up all my money for the day. Like, for a lot of average people, it's just like, no. Like, I did that for a number of years. I did that stuff. Go to the state house again. I mean, I showed up at every meeting for ten years at the state house for decrim and medical and legal and even other stuff. You know, just it's a it's a time consuming thing. It is nice now to see that it's virtual, it makes it a little easier. But this still it's still a problem. I don't know what the solution is, but we're getting off track. We spent a lot of time tonight. We should go. Um, I did want to touch on one more thing uh, before we go, uh, which was, oh, goodness, is it going to slip from me now? Um, I, oh, no. So it was just in relation to what you're talking about, which is, so w- one of the reasons this progress is so impressive is that it reflects the work of people who aren't paid to do this stuff. It reflects the people who are in it for the right reasons. And the reason why those people don't normally get their voices to the forefront is that the organized moneyed groups that pay front groups and lobbyists and all that stuff and fake activists, they are the ones who can actually get people to not have to work a nine to five and instead dedicate their lives. So in the, you have those monolithic groups with all their influence and all their you know soft power versus a ragtag group of disabled people who can't leave their home and who have no money and live on $700 a month, sometimes as low as 300 or, or and, they work a full-time job and they're trying to get something going on the side, which is right. the other group of people. That, I mean, that's, that's this community, really. I mean, there are people like Andrew Money that I know. He's working a million hours. Trying, you know, he does a, a different career and then tries to do the bean town, green town on top of it. A lot of people like that. Like myself, I'm working a full-time gig and then I'm doing all this media stuff on the side. Or like you said, disabled folks. So, I mean, these are people that don't have a lot of resources generally. And it was vindic, and that's all I wanted to get to, which was that this was vindication for 
not only people who are no longer with us, but every person in this for the right reasons. And it only happened because the community was willing to come together and actually pay attention to the issues and support the people that were in this for the right reasons. And that, I, I, there's nothing that I enjoy more than the thought of some millionaire dispensary owner who's crying tears into his 40-year-old scotch when he realizes that he doesn't have, he spent all that money, all those years building these in, networks of influencers and fake advocates, and he lost, or she lost. That's the Commonwealth Dispensary Association isn't happy this week. The MPA isn't happy this week, I guarantee you. I'll say it. We'll leave it on that. I'm always the guy who will say it. I love it. I mean, some of those folks are disgusting. I, I just still to this day that they came out and they crapped on caregivers. They crapped on Stephen Mendilly's bill for the veterans. I don't know how they sleep at night and for the short money that they get. But we're out of here. We, we had a great – I hope everyone, uh, if you didn't get a chance, go listen again to the replay or the podcast. Uh, we had some great candidates for office uh, on the show today. Sean uh, Dabney Small running for Boston City Council, Michelle Mullet for Massachusetts State Rep, Helena Fontes for Massachusetts Governor's Council, and Nicole Masalem, who's running for Massachusetts State Rep as well. Check them out. And no matter what, go vote on Tuesday. I'll see you next time, Grant. I want to thank you as well for everything you do. And uh, I thank our audience, our listeners, our supporters, our readers, wherever you might catch us, and especially the people who've been kicking in money too that really help us uh, continue to do what we do. There is a cost to, you know, doing what we do. There is a cost just to run Zoom and uh, XSplit and all this other crap that we put our time and money into. So I really want to thank you, and especially the ones that share share our, our Facebook group, you know, invite their friends. We see a lot of that happening lately. If you want to get more involved, hit us up. And especially if you want to just help us out, just do it. Like just invite your friends to our Facebook group. That's an easy way. Share our videos. Uh, or hit up, you know, a uh, U.S. congressperson and say, hey, well, I'm not going to support you if you don't come on the Young Jerk show, which someone did to uh, Rep Moulton this week. <laughs> I did it and then someone else did it. So I want to thank our audience for always having our back. Thank All right, you. Grant. Thank you as well, Mike. You, uh, you keep this community informed. You give uh, me a lot of passion. You give my life a lot of meaning and I'm grateful to uh, be along for the ride with you. And uh, we'll see you at the Freedom Rally too in a couple of weeks. Boston yeah. Freedom Rally coming up. September 20th uh, from 12 p.m. to 8 p.m. The virtual Boston Freedom Rally. I heard Mike Crawford might even be making an appearance. So... I think it's the first time in like four or five years. So it'd be, that'll be interesting. Good to be back. That's something you helped with too, in a way. Actually, uh, I surprisingly did not suggest that panel. It came up from one of the education subcommittees because someone thought you were a media expert. <laughs> I don't even know. No, I don't know. Maybe. I'm, I'm a, <laughs> we got to go. <laughs> we don't want to talk about the media now. We'll see you next time, people. Young night. Jerks, Grant Smith, Mike Crawford, check it out. Bye. <laughs>